start especially for our listeners who aren't as familiar with the guests to get kind of the 50 cent pitch background a little bit. Um, you sort of self-identify as a venture capitalist angel investor, and I want to get to sort of the difference between those two things in a second. But you're from Texas, correct? And you went to law school? That's correct. So I grew up in a little town on the border of Arkansas called Texarkana, Texas. Um, and we uh, grew up there and kind of migrated up to the Northeast by way of going to uh, different different schools up in the Northeast and um, ended up uh, staying up there for a little bit. And then Graduated from Cornell University, went down to law school in St. Louis. So I sort of did a, a roundabout uh, yeah. back to the West. And uh, yeah, so now I live in uh, Colorado. Yeah, why Colorado? Well, I think Colorado for me, I'd, I'd lived in D.C., so I went back that way. I lived up in the D.C. mid-Atlantic region for a while. I st- established a couple businesses, um, became an advisor to some companies up there. Um, and just uh, kind of I felt like I'd... I'd did what I needed to do or, or had accomplished what I needed to accomplish. I was in D.C. for about 10 years after having graduated from law school um, and felt like I wanted just an open space, open environment, clean environment, less traffic mm, okay. and uh, more of, a, of an entrepreneurial sense. I didn't really ever get the sense that D.C. is is a entrepreneurial hub. I mean, they try, try to do a few different initiatives, but I felt Colorado just sort of drew me into this excitement of the mountains and what uh, some of the you know communities in Boulder, communities in uh, you know Denver. I mean, Denver's just exploding. Um, yeah. So I talked myself here, and I'm, I'm ready for the ride. So yeah, yeah. I was just going to ask about the sort of the startup <clears throat> environment here in Colorado would be right for for your kind of your line of work and your experience. So especially the way things are going these days. Absolutely. Um, so talk to me a little bit about, for those folks who are, because we do have a lot of, of listeners and readers who are sort of just in the starting phases of considering a startup, um, launching their own business for whatever reasons, whatever the background might be. Um, so this is a brand new education for them. So talk to me a little bit about the difference between venture capitalists, angel investors, and how that figures into the startup world. At what point you you sort of step in? So I look at, you know, if you look at the broad spectrum of investments, there's private side investing, which would include venture capital. There's angel investing. I'll break down the difference between the two. And then there's public side investing, which are stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, bonds, robo investing that I'm sure you've seen a lot of that recently. Um, so I, I've, I had a bit of experience on the public side along, long before I was into the private side, but I was excited about the private side because if you think about venture capital or angel investing, angel investing is literally planting a seed and and hoping that that seed turns into a thousand x, you know, two thousand x. Who knows? Right. It's the very earliest stages of a company's existence, and it's so it's a higher risk, higher reward, higher reward scenario whereby you put in a bit less money at the time as an angel investor and hope is it explodes into something really big. And I think I was a bit inspired, uh, believe it or not, by uh, some of the original investors in, in Facebook um, and uh, Mark Andreessen, uh, Peter Thiel, a few of the original investors there. And they turned, I think, $500,000 into something like two or $3 billion. And I said, wait a second, what's going on here? Mm. Um, and they had done that vis-a-vis angel investing. And so the idea is you, as an angel investor, find companies and you have to go out there and scout them because just like any good thing, it's often busy or or uh, not searching for money or any good startup. So you have to go out, you have to spend the energy, fly, meet with startups and tell them how you can add value to the company. And, and a lot of times an angel investment could be just an idea, right? Just somebody's idea and somebody who's had a dream, a vision for what 
they were as an entrepreneur and what they want to become as a successful entrepreneur. And so an angel investor is really, I like to think about it as, you know, think about the Rockies here in Colorado, really jumping off that cliff and, and riding, riding that wave all the way down or that mountain all the way down with that entrepreneur. It's much more hands-on, much more integrated, much more involved than, than venture capital, which I'll talk about next. Venture capital, on the other hand, and right, by the way, there's tons of crossovers, right? Um, a venture capitalist is a, probably – it doesn't have a, is a positive of a connotation these days. <laughs> you know, sort of you think of a vulture, venture capitalist. But right. venture capitalist typically goes – so an angel investor is at the seed round. Then you go to a series A round, a B round, C, D, E, and potentially even all the way to an IPO. And so a venture right. capitalist usually has – less risk and it's taken the, you know, using a mountain analogy, using the, the, blue, the blue and the green slopes, riding down a little bit less because they've got a proven revenue. You know, the startup they're about to invest in has proven revenue, has a proven concept, has validated their model. So I think an angel investor is really more of a high risk, high reward. Venture capitalist hedges a bit of their risk. And, but both of them can, can have some serious upside if you find the right startup and the right team to invest in. That's helpful. That's helpful. Thank you for explaining that. Um, and I'm curious, going back to, I don't want to get off on a tangent here too much, but but you said you were inspired by early investors in, in Facebook. Other than the fact that that has been obviously hugely successful, what about that process or investment for you was particularly inspiring? I really have always been intrigued by startups that aren't looking for money, that are not constantly pitching me. I mean, again, it's it, I, have, I would love to invite some of your your listeners to pitch me via LinkedIn or add me on Twitter, whatever they like to do. But I think I've just found constantly that the startups where you have founders who are obsessed with just building a, a phenomenal product that can't be replicated easily and a product that people become evangelists for that product, those are the kind of concepts I like. And if you go back to the Facebook story, if you go back even to Apple and Microsoft, Google, some of those original guys, I mean, th think about, for example, uh, Google, which was uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page when they were PhD students at Stanford University right. back in the 90s, these guys were offered a million dollars to sell their startup, and they said no. I mean, could you imagine making less than probably ten thousand a year as a PhD student and being willing to say no to that? I mean, that that's sort of the the, the sort of powerful. Uh, recognition that I look for in founders, the ability to say no as much as to say yes. And so, I mean, that story, it's not just the Facebook story. I mean, you know, where Mark Zuckerberg notoriously was not very nice and came in in sandals into the, uh, the uh, you know, Andreessen Horowitz meeting and, you know, yeah, kind of right. act didn't care. But I, I'm not necessarily looking for a flippant founder who doesn't care or is a bit pedantic. I'm looking for people that are just obsessed with their products and they're not even thinking about selling. I'll ride the wave with them for five, 10 years, 15 years until I die. It doesn't matter if I believe in what they're doing and they believe in, in me, the investor. So, so that's actually a great segue because, because if, if I am putting myself into the shoes of an entrepreneur who's looking at starting a startup, um, and I know at some point along the line, because I have a great product idea, a great service idea, I'm going to need uh, investment from the outside. So sort of reverse engineering this, where do I go to reach out? Like, how do I found the, find the right investors? I know there's, uh, there's some websites out there. Is, is there any resource that you would recommend or research that you would recommend that they do so that they find the right, could make the right connections? Well, absolutely. And I'm not plugging angelkings.com, but that is our site. And right. we've been growing substantially. We have a list of the best investors on there. You can reach out to them. But if you're not interested in that, that's fine. Um, I mean, I, I look for, you know, I look for, 
you know, companies and, and vertical leaders, uh, for example, I, I go to conferences in certain niches, right? Whether that be cybersecurity, uh, blockchain, I'll actually go to these conferences and I'll meet with some of the speakers. And I, I've often spoken as well myself, but sometimes I like to just sit back and find the people that are the thought leaders and go reach out to them. And I really believe the hustle, the entrepreneur hustle that is required to make it and to get that startup investment is massive. You've got to be willing to knock on doors. You've got to be willing to find the investors within your field who are thought leaders and just go out there and, and put yourself on a line. You know, 99% of times you're going to get that no. That 1% might be that investor that changes your life. And I want to be that investor for those entrepreneurs. So actually, it's interesting. You talk about sort of the quality of the individual that's necessary to make this happen. You talk about people who can say no as much as they say yes, thought leaders, all these various qualities. I was listening to an interview um, with you previously where you talk about the uh, the formula, the blank and chip formula that you use, wherein 40%, if I remember correctly, has to do with the team that you're looking at when you come into a startup. Can you talk a little bit more? Because we, we talk ad nauseum sort of our focus is sort of the quality of the individual the routines the disciplines the habits can you talk a little bit about those kinds of things that you're looking for in the ideal entrepreneur absolutely so we just published for the first time ever and i'm not just saying it is absolutely true i published a book called the investing king and the idea behind the investing king is to publish the blankenship formula because i've been using it on over 40 startups and 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 i appreciate you you knowing that because 40 percent of the formula is the founder or are the founders and the people that make up a startup. Because if you move, move that LLC aside and that C Corp aside, all you have are the people. So no matter what happens to that entity, you've got people hopefully with brilliant ideas. So the Blankenship Valuation Method breaks takes the subjective concepts of, oh, I like the founder, he's nice, or she's she's really nice, and mm, you know, yeah. you got a good idea. And it takes the subjective concept and turns it into objective measures to evaluate startups, gotcha. and that, that was my goal. And so the people, product, process, traction, and financials, people, product, process, traction, financials, those five things are the startup DNA that I've seen consistently across the board, whether in its agnostic, doesn't matter the industry, cybersecurity, blockchain, Bitcoin, whatever the soup du jour, the, the hot startup is, you have to evaluate startups objectively before you write a check for them. And you're right, Jeff. I mean, that the, the big part of my formula are, is the people, right? It's the ability to evaluate a person and to know, just like I mentioned back a, a few minutes ago about that Google, the Larry Page and Sergey Brin, they were willing to walk away from a million dollars. Can you find somebody else that you're willing to put in a, a small check or a big check and, and know that they're, they're in it to win it long term? So the people matter more than anything, and I will consistently rank people in my evaluation and the Blankenship valuation method above any other metric. I want to I come back to the people element in a second, um, but to continue with the Blankenship formula, um, the rest of it, process, product traction, and financials, can you speak just briefly to, to what that looks like for you as part of the formula? formula? Absolutely. So when I say people, you know, we've gone through that, the people, it could, you, you want to look for the hacker, the hustler, the social media maven, sort of those three people within one. It's in the book, The Investing King. Let's move to product. Product is about building something. It's not just about building a clone of something, the Uber, whatever the hot thing that day is. It's about building a product that people love. They're willing to validate it. And you go out there and you can validate it, you know, asking somebody to pay for it in advance. 
and an ability to have the customer keep coming back to you over and over and over again. That's what building a product is, right? So for example, when we were talking about Facebook earlier, right? Facebook started out as the Facebook. It didn't have a, necessarily anything fancy, any product, but it had the consistency of regularity of people coming back to it over and over and over again. Um, if you look at, you know, whether it be some other product in whatever industry, you have to build a dependency for people to come back to it. And I look for that. And in fact, I'm the only investor that I know of that will go out and buy the product and ask five of my friends and family what they honestly think about it. I want candid opinions. So I'll go out and say, hey, you know, ask my wife, hey, you know, would you use this? And and she obviously is very, very good at giving her blunt opinion to me, which I deserve. Um, and she'll tell me, look, Ross, I, I, I don't like it. I, and, and I ask why. And so I really, as an investor, want to dive deep into the product. I want to see the consistency, the habitual nature of that product. And I also want to ask my friends and family, people to give me objective opinions on it to know whether it's, it, it's valid, right? So that's what a product is. The process, right, that is a people product process. Mm -hmm. The process is really about, so the first year of any startup has to be hand done. If, if you're building a tech company, it's not all automated from day one. I mean, Facebook, he was right. typing from the, the Harvard directory, people's names to add them as members of Facebook. Right. Airbnb, right? Airbnb, a wonderful startup, has done changed economies, literally was taking listings off of Craigslist and emailing them, the three founders there, and emailing them to ask them to place their listing on Airbnb. So the process always starts as manual, but you want to ask the startup, how are they going to eventually automate it? That's mm, the core of what the process is in my book. Um, the other thing, the traction financials really are about, just in some, are really just about you know making sure that you're seeing a 5 to 10% growth each month, month to month. And by the way, there's a big difference between and uh, determining your growth in the first year versus over three years, because uh, you'll see a 50% growth of a startup launches at month one to month two. Um, I mean, you know, got to be mm, careful. Right, right. Anyway, the last thing is just understanding financials. Those are the big things of the blankage evaluation method. So, you know, it's interesting when you're talking about the product and sort of creating the habits so that people continue to come back to it. I'm wondering, the one thing that wasn't mentioned in this, but maybe it's folded into some of the others, is marketing. So to what extent do you look at the marketing efforts of a startup? It's a startup, so it's probably not significant, depending at what stage you're, you're looking at them. Um, but that will certainly affect how successful that product is or will become in the future. So are you looking at that at all? I'm absolutely, I'm looking for a story. I'm looking for the narrative. I'm looking right. for the next icon, whether it's Richard Branson. I even write in the book, uh, in, in the book, The Investing King, I write about J.K. Rowling. I mean, J.K. Rowling, <laughs> yeah. no one would think of J.K. Rowling, of Harry Potter, Potter as a startup. This woman was a single mom who was rejected multiple times by publishers, but she has a phenomenal story. And when she finally sold the story, let me tell you, my kids, everybody loves those books. And so it doesn't, you know, I think about a story and a narrative that people have to find. And if I don't see a story or a potential icon amongst those founders, I'm not going to invest. So you have to find, if you're out there looking for, for money for people like me or other angel investors, find your story and be able to tell it. Don't make things up, but find a story that resonates because the press 
When they found out about that 18, 19 year old dropout from Harvard, that that single mom pitching 20, 30 publishers, when they found out about it, she got free press. He got free press. You got to look for that angle and you got to be able to hustle for that angle in that story. And that's what marketing is about as a right. story. You don't have a lot of money to spend. You know, you shouldn't be buying ads. You should be going out and creating your story and meeting with the people that will write about you. Right. So that right. thing is for startups. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's let's dig into sort of how this gets started for an entrepreneur. Um, I read, you know, you have a quote um, and I think it's in one of your books. Maybe it's on your website. I can't remember exactly. It said, don't raise money unless you need to and don't raise money until you're ready to grow. Um, my next question was going to be, how does a newbie entrepreneur actually figure out what kind of money they actually need and when they should start um, reaching out about it? So so that what are the metrics? What are you looking for in your own startup um, such that you know, oh, it's time that I need outside money? First off, I want to I, I want to thank you for bringing that up. You, that I want to scream from mountain to mountain. I want to scream from one end of the coast to the other in America and say, hey, don't raise money unless you absolutely need it. Right. And the reason for that is manyfold. It's because when you raise money, you're bringing on partners and there's responsibility, there's immediate responsibility to do what's right and to grow the company the way that you pitched it to them. And so, there, you know, there's an element to that you have to be aware of. Right. The other, but the main reason for that, Jeff, is because you don't want to raise money until you're ready to scale, you're ready to grow your business. When you raise money, whether it be through an equity round, which means you take money and you exchange that in exchange for common stock in your company right. or through debt, which is the convertible note route, right, without getting in the weeds there. But it's basically taking on money that is debt, short-term debt, whatever it might be, equity or debt. You don't want to raise money until you're ready to grow your business and your profit, your future profits will justify raising that money. So I think the key is and, – and one key – I think you mentioned this is where you asked this – how much money should you raise potentially? It's not only you should only raise what's what when you absolutely need it, you're ready to grow or scale your business, but you should always just raise just enough to get you by probably about 18 months worth. So if you the way to calculate that, Jeff, is to take your monthly burn rate and multiply it by 18. And so, and that's not even assuming any revenues. So you really want to give yourself about 18 months for any given round for which you raise money. Gotcha. Okay, that is that is helpful. Um, talk to me a little bit about this. Is one thing that's become increasingly popular, um, especially among the millennial generations and millennial entrepreneurs as they get going. Uh, crowdfunding. Can you give me some thoughts um, around crowdfunding as sort of a way to kickstart a startup or to help launch a product? So I think crowdfunding has a lot. I mean, it was back in 2012, the Jobs Act was passed, and that was an opportunity for people to finally raise in unconventional ways. You know, you've got accredited investors who have this certain criteria that they're able to raise or you're able to raise money from as less stringent requirements to raise money from accredited investors versus non-accredited investors who have a lower income and could put in a hundred, five hundred dollars into a startup. Mm -hmm. Right. I think I, I don't think crowd I think crowdfunding is just sort of at, at first base for what is a long, you know, potentially long uh, innings, right, in a baseball baseball game. I think it's we're just at the start of what crowdfunding could become. Uh, because and the reason for that is because crowdfunding is is for private investing, right? It's for startups that want to raise on WeFunder, Funders Club, AngelList, whatever the site. We're right. actually adding some to Angel Kings ourselves. But I think the big thing is it's for private funding. And here's the thing. In 2012, the, job, the Jobs Act was passed for crowdfunding. 
any given uh, liquidity event, meaning a, a, a time in which a startup will either sell or be acquired, whatever the event might be, that's what private investors are looking for. That's their event, right? That's their IPO. You're looking for that as a private investor. A lot of those things haven't been realized yet because you have to have to understand that startups take a long time to have those events. So back in 2012, we're now in 2018. I think it's going to be really another five or 10 years to determine how how much success companies that raise vis-a-vis crowdfunding have had, right? So I just that's want to throw that out there. Right. No, that's that's important to know as well. I'm just curious because it is so popular um, and, and a lot of people look to it as sort of the first echelon for, for raising funds to get their product or service off the ground, sort of a, a baseline for, for making their company viable. Um, you also talk a lot about um, cybersecurity, and that's increasingly an issue just across the boards. So talk to me a little bit about um, what kind of cybersecurity requirements you look for in a startup, um, or if it's not something that needs to be in place when you're looking at them, you know, how a company should be rolling that out in the future to sort of satisfy your needs and expectations. Well, so a couple things. I mean, just on a on a, a tech basis when I'm evaluating startups, whether that be as an advisor of startups or whether it be an investor, whichever role, um, I do look for stringent cybersecurity. It's one of the first things I ask for. Uh, I, I wanna know how are they protected? How are their, how's the customer's data protected? Right. How yeah, are they yeah. the consumers that they're going out there and promoting their product? But what, you know, so much data is in the cloud now, but what are the protections that we have for them, and is there, I'm, I'm trying to advocate, Jeff, for a sort of bill of rights, a cybersecurity bill of rights for consumers. That's one of the things that I've, I've mentioned before in a couple of my, my, my talks, my speeches, but I think all consumers deserve basic cybersecurity rights. They wanna know how their data is being handled, handled, how it's being explored or, or being used, is it being sold or whatnot. So I think we need to have more transparency just with startups and how the data itself is protected or, or not protected. Let's be transparent. But so I look for in a startup is that transparency and I look for the layers of protection and I don't want to get into it, but it's basically DDoS mitigation. You know, there's all sorts of things you can protect your website from. It's cloud protection, cloud data. Right, right. But also, I mean, I'm, I think cybersecurity is a very exciting field. And I think uh, I would love to hear from companies that are listening to your show uh, that are in cybersecurity, because I think if anything, the more and more we migrate to the cloud, the more consumer protections are going to be needed uh, and cybersecurity become more important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it is interesting how that, that, that feel is changing. We'll have to keep an eye on it. Um, and hopefully some of our listeners will have some feedback on that too. Um, I'm wondering, you know, as you know, you get to a point where you're interested in a startup um, and you're interested in the team and all the components, everything is in line. Um, so you're willing to write the check. To what extent are you involved as sort of a mentor or guide um, over the next months and years as that company grows? And how much do you sort of have a hands-off approach? What, what is your tack there? Wow. Well, I think that, that I, I've served on the board of maybe five, six startups at the current mo moment. I've been asked to be on another board. Um, I would say it's really depending on how much I love the product, how much I uh, potential, because when you serve on the board of directors or you become an advisor, you really got to commit. You've got to be there at least have at least five, 10, 20 hours a month to, to devote to a startup. Um, I would say, Jeff, that about half the time I'm asked it when I write any check uh, or do it through Angel Kings, our, our investment fund. Um, I'd say about half the time they ask me to come on, and about most of the time I have to reject that uh, because it's you know I don't want to do anything perfunctory. I don't want to do anything in a way that 
that uh, they depend on me and I can't come through for them. So we, I get asked all the time, but I think it's important to say no uh, and to be willing to say, hey, you know, I, I'll, I'll put something into your startup, but I'm not ready to jump on, you know, you know, three or four conference calls a week. Uh, people think board of directors is just sort of a, a title, a, a name for to put on your LinkedIn profile, but it's not. It's a commitment to, to help a startup through and through or thick through thick and thin. So. You know, but regardless, I'm open to any board of directors thing. I think, you know, you have to just really know your industries and know, you know, is it an industry that you also are a thought leader in? And what a thought leader means, is it an industry that, you know, you can speak fluently about it and promote the startup? Because that's your job. You're not just a, anybody. A startup can get money from anybody, Jeff. Right. I mean, yeah. you can go out there and beg somebody. You can do it through crowdfunding. You can do it through an angel investing group. You can do it through VC. It doesn't matter. It's about taking the right money the smart money and people that will become advocates for you. Um, do you ever, do you ever run into a situation where you're right about ready to write the check and, and it's requested that you have minimal uh, investment in that company? Like, I don't want you to be very involved. I want your hands off. Like, I appreciate that you're, you know, interested, invested financially and otherwise in my company and my product, but I want to have, you know, complete say over the way it goes. And I'm assuming that because you're writing the check, you believe in me and the product. So you shouldn't need to be involved. Most of the time, my default is to not, you know, to be involved on the on the day to day. I want to let a company run their company. I'm not a micromanager. Let right. the, let the startup do what. Let the startup be the founders in my valuation model that I want them to be. Go out, and hustle, go hack, build something brilliant that people love and they're obsessed with. You go do that, and I and I 99% of the time, well, as much a percent of the time as possible, I believe in the startup and I just make that happen. Gotcha. What ends up, it, 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 there's two red flags in investing, and especially in eight, angel investing, venture capital. One is a startup that's not updating you at least once a month, right? Mm, so yeah, if, yeah. If, if you invest in a startup, and I've seen this happen, you invest in a startup, you're not getting a monthly update. They could use a template, put a paragraph out there, hey, here's what we're working on. We'd like your help with X, Y, and Z. Any investors out there, can you help us? If you're not seeing a startup do a regular monthly update there, that's a huge red flag. Most of those startups end up in the dead pool. They end up not doing anything worth any value and – Period. Um, but the other red flag I would say would be somebody like, you know, you were saying, Jeff, where if they said, you know, we want your money, but we don't want anything to do with you. I mean, I know it wasn't <laughs> quite that extreme, but, you know, we want your money and we'll talk to you soon. Um, I just think there should be sort of a, a mutually amicable agreement where I'm going to be there for you anytime. Send me your month. I think the best scenario, Jeff, is where you say, just send me a monthly update. Let me know how things are going and put a call to action at the end of your email or, you know, or call your conference call. And say, hey, guys, we're trying to partner up. I've got a great company, by the way, called Peer5. Uh, Peer5, they're out in San Francisco. They're doing peer-to-peer -peer video streaming. It's a brilliant company. I think they're going to be a mega hit. But anyway, they do the best thing ever. They send out an email to me and to, to a list of maybe 15 investors, their first angel investors. And at the end of it, they say, hey, by the way, here are the 10 people we're about to reach out to this week. Do you know them? And I just think that's a perfect thing to do because why wouldn't you tap into the resources that you have? Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Build that network with people you already know. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah um, so I, I'm, this is interesting to me because um, I recently wrote a piece about um, you know millennials. I keep coming back to it. Uh, Simon Sinek has talked about this too, the millennial question. And, Very yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. But yeah. um, one, one of the things that he, he, uh, he mentioned in that talk is that um, – 
with all the troubles that millennials seem to face, one of the things that they demand in a workplace is that there's some kind of bigger purpose, something beyond the paycheck. Um, and so, so I'm wondering when you're looking at startups, especially in this era, if sort of an attachment or an investment in the community at large, um, and whether that be some sort of uh, some detailed uh, volunteering that's part of their regimen for the staff or something planned out for the future, or if it's just part of their general mission. It, is that important to you and important to investors in general so far as you know? Well, I'll tell you this, and, and my father-in-law said this to me once. He said, you should do something that but you just happen to be paid for as well as a side note. It should be yeah. you would do as a hobby, but you just happen to get paid for it because people will pay you for it. And I look for startups that are, you know, that are into big things, right? Ethereum, which is a blockchain thing. It's right, a, right. And I was early on back in February of last year, 2016. I was, by the way, I was in Bitcoin and Ethereum before it was cool. You can verify that. <laughs> YouTube, you can verify that. Um, but anyway, no, it, you're absolutely right. The core of your question is, what what motivates people? Start with why. Just like Simon Wright writes right, in his yeah. book. Start with why. Understand people's motivations. And what I look for in those founders and the blankage evaluation method and just my life, period, is what are they doing it almost as if it's a hobby because they love it and they're obsessed with building something cool? Or are they doing it just to get rich quick and flip something fast? Right. And tell that. You can absolutely tell it. I used to play a ton of poker back in the day, so I'm constantly <laughs> And I can tell you, you've got to look for that in a founder. Look for someone or a group of people, male, female, whoever, a group of three, ten founders, and determine whether or not they're doing it as a hobby, but now they're ready to start getting paid for it. That's the big, that's the big idea, the big idea of founders who you want to find and invest in. And by the way, millennials and all this sort of new thought processes behind the motivation behind the millennials is absolutely tied to a mission-oriented, mission-driven concept. Mm -hmm, and if you're yeah. building a startup and you're not trying to change the world or trying to do something amazing, you'll probably end up building your three outcomes. One, you'll have a, you know, well, not with that, but you'll have essentially turn yourself into a lifestyle business at best and a failure at worst. So if you don't have a mission and you're not mission-driven, you're not going to be able to hire people as effectively. You're not going to be able to get customers to love what you do. And frankly, just don't do it. You know, just go work <laughs> and get rent, you know, have somebody rent your time. Um, it's interesting because to me that that definitely ties back into the need to, for a story, an expansive story yeah. that, you know, you have a background, but that you want to grow that story into something even more meaningful. So um, that that resonates. Absolutely. I want to turn now to close out the interview with some questions about 2018. So sure. um, you uh, sort of shifted, if I'm not mistaken, and this is based on a, the interview that I listened to, uh, focused on uh, biotech. Is that correct at this juncture? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm doing a ton of I'm doing a ton of biotech right now. Just invested in a company called Notable Labs out in San Francisco that's doing a lot of really cool uh, di diagnoses of, of cancer, early stage cancer, some therapeutic stuff. There's immunotherapy. There's CAR T. I mean, I'm just so obsessed, and I'm so tired of hearing about things like you know the you know, a 25 year old is killed by cancer, and I'm just you know it just crushes me. And I I, I think of all the different things. I think of people with brain diseases like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and how we've done literally nothing in the, in the Alzheimer's field. Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's now, I've done a 40 plus investments now and I really wanna do what's right. I wanna change economies and I wanna invest in the future and, and help people live longer. You know, that's the number one goal. So that's a lot of what Angel King's 
which is our primary investment vehicle. What we're looking for is very, very early stage biotech companies, companies that can literally change industry or change people's lives, which is the most important thing. And then the second, because it's just sort of a follow-up, which I've been obsessed with for, for over literally four years since, or five years almost since 2012, which is blockchain, Bitcoin, and Ethereum, because I really don't like these entrenched incumbents, the, the sort of the banks, the insurance companies that take advantage of people. And I, I sort of have that, that free cider bend to me where I think blockchain and Ethereum and Bitcoin, they're just the start. I mean, this is just the start of what could be a 20, a thousand year period for, for the industry. So those are the two things. Block, uh, sorry, uh, biotech, which you're absolutely right, Jeff, is a, is a passion of mine through Angel Kings and blockchain, which I'm doing a little bit more through through my own personal vehicle. So Yeah, it's, it's like t- tying again into that sort of purpose-driven um, investing, you know, uh, tying into what the startups are doing. Um, so, so talk to me a little bit about, if you would, um, both in the biotech sphere um, and cryptocurrencies and, and then elsewhere, just in general, what kind of trends you're seeing come to the fore in 2018, what you anticipate, um, not just in the industries that are booming, or the products that are coming on board, but also in the way startups are starting um, and what they're looking like now versus they have in the last five, 10 years. Well, I'll tell you, by way of anecdote, I one of the reasons I invested in Ethereum when it was $7, and who knows what it'll be tomorrow because the right, yeah. names and stuff, so I don't want to be on record saying it, it's going to go to 10000 but no. who knows. It probably, it, it probably will, actually. But um, no, I think people are, you shouldn't be starting Bitcoin or, or blockchain or Ethereum, which I'm the most excited about, you know, Ether, ETH, you shouldn't be starting it just based on the price and how much money your people are making off of these these currencies because you're just going to lose long term, right? You're not going to fit the mold of the blanket chip method of sort of passionate founders who are doing things as hobbies that now they want to turn it into a real business. You know, that shouldn't be what you're doing. So I would say first and foremost, if you've got li- – I know you've got tons of listeners. So if you're listening out there and you're thinking, oh, I want to I want to start a blockchain or Bitcoin or Ethereum startup, I will say, well, why, right? What is your purpose? And number two is I'll say, what do you know about it? And I can't tell you, Jeff, how often I see entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs who <laughs> – Build it just because they see other people getting wealthy off of it. Right, right. Right. It should be a flip. You know, your end can still be that you get wealthy, but it should be about understanding it to the point where you're beyond fluent and you can explain it to anybody, your grandmother's, you know, your grandmother and anybody else. But it should be about passion for why you're building it. And so I think the trend I'm starting to see that I'm trying to quell or, you know, uh, you know, hitting the butt right now to stop it, which is that don't build stuff because it's the thing, it's the soup du jour, it's the hot thing. 2018 will be about cryptocurrencies. It will be about the blockchain. But step back and say, what do you know about it? How can I become more fluent than the next person to build something that impacts the lives of others? That's the way, that's what 2018 will be about. So it'll be trendy. It'll be about blockchain. It will be about even some biotech stuff. But the way in which you approach it has to be fundamentally different if you want to be successful as an entrepreneur. What about what about the sharing economy? Because that's still kind of booming, and and the Internet of Things as well. Um, these are these are two areas that that are just um, they're in rapid growth right now. So, do you see anything happening there that you can speak to? Absolutely. So let's start with the sharing economy, right? When we think of sharing economy, I mean we're 
we're really thinking about anything. We're thinking about right. uh, starting with your Netflix, sharing your Netflix account with a friend, you know, and hoping they don't spot your IP <laughs> twice. I mean, literally, that's what you have to break it down in the most granular level. The sharing economy is absolutely a roar. It's just surging ahead. And it means everything from that, like I said, cloud sharing, sharing passwords to get access to data right. and to get access to the, the next hot you know, Netflix documentary. But it also means on a fundamental level, you know, I was mentioning early Airbnb. Some of the economies of scale that Airbnb and and some of the uh, Lyft, right? I'm a big fan of Lyft. Um, you know, some of the ride sharing has has taken place. I mean, these are think about it like this: <clears throat> Airbnb has has literally made people money on stuff they already had. So it's like right. you've got a place to live, so why not make some money off it? Lyft is the same concept, just sort of twisted in a little way. It's that it's your car. So make money off it. I think you're going to start seeing a lot of that in 2018, Jeff, where it's like, I've got something. Why don't I rent it out? It's on the cloud. I can share it with somebody and make a little bit of money. Um, I think you're going to see a, a surge in that sharing economy, not just from transportation, housing. It, it'll go in many different directions. Um, I, I, and the other part of it is really, you know, hopefully we'll see some big things. Now, you talked about, I, I believe you mentioned the IoT or Internet of Things. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the Internet of Things is exciting. I think the I'm more interested in it from a software perspective. So I think, uh, you know, you're going to have what happens in hardware, right? So if you think about Internet of Things, that means um, it could mean something in your house like the light bulb that you put up. I think the IoT, we have to be careful here because you're going to get to a point with IoT in 2018, 19, where people are like, do I really need to when I walk in a room, there's a there's a switch I can flip on. Or I could log into my iPhone and then dim the light. I mean, you know, it's going to get to that certain point where it's like maybe a little unnecessary. Mm. Um, and I really would be wary as an investor to sort of tap into that sort of the light bulb thesis and to, to sort of change the world because, you know, you need to use your iPhone or your Android or, or you know, whatever it might be. If that so it's makes more, sense. more more gimmicky than it is solving a pain or problem. I, I think the IoT for me is is a bit more gimmicky. I haven't seen – I think the sharing economy is – oh, my goodness. I mean I'm, I'm all, I think it's brilliant in so many ways and it's changing economies and making people wealthy for what they already have. So that there's there's method to that mayhem there. When it becomes the IoT, I sort of – I step back. There's another thing I didn't mention, which is that hardware always becomes commoditized. So you have that light bulb and if you're, if you're an IoT startup and you're producing light bulbs – well, the light bulb eventually, you know, the Chinese and the Japanese, the Koreans will eventually make it for less and less money per, per light bulb. So you're going to lose, you know, it's just sort of like solar solar economics. You've got an infinite amount of of, um, of sun, but not an infinite amount of, of demand for the sun. So the price just sort of winnows down. I think you're going to see a little bit of that. We haven't hit peak IoT yet in case people do want to invest in it. But let's step back and be careful from the gimmicks and the sort of unnecessary things that pervade our, our entire lives. What, what about some uh, some pitfalls, both as we see changes in, um, I mean, we, I don't want to get too much in the weeds on this, but but as things are changing on the tax front currently in the, the politics and administration, um, the economy is changing, technology is changing. Any pitfalls that people should be aware of if they're looking to start a company 2018? Well, you know, and I, I, I'll hold it off on politics too, because I think <laughs> That's all, all I'll say is all politicians are kind of the same. But um, I will say this. Um, I think we're getting a, a, a more business-friendly environment for startups. Right? I mean, just sort of leapfrogging off the Jobs Act. Now we have a little more friendly uh, environment. Um, I think there's some things like net neutrality that 
you know, it, it blows my mind that we want to mess with something which, you know, is, is really been the leapfrog for so many great startups and new media. Um, but I think overall, it's, it's, if I were to say on a scale of one to 10, I would say it's gotten, it went from in the last, you know, 20 years. So we'll encompass both a Republican and Democrat. I think we've moved a a, sort of a, probably a couple on that, on that Richter scale. I think it's a bit more pro business now. Um, do I say that's leaps and bounds? I think there's a lot of room to go. Um, but if you're a startup, I want to just say this. So this is about the hustlers, the entrepreneurs, the go-getters that are listening to the show that want to build the next big thing and change the world. Okay. That's who I love. Let me tell you this much. Don't even think about the politics. Don't think about who's in power. You know, don't get mad about Trump one day and then Obama the other day. Just focus on building something that people love, that they obsess about, that they want to go tell people about. That's what you want to do. Forget about the politics. You know, politicians, you're not going to be able to hire, hire lobbyists until you're Facebook or Google anyway. So just go build something great that people love and, and let the politics work itself out. We'll be OK on that front. Mm. Um, it's actually it's a great way to, to sort of close things out. Um, if if we do have some entrepreneurs listening to the show interested in maybe starting that communication about some investments, um, sure. I know you have uh, a portal on. Is it angelkings.com? Yeah, that's angelkings. Um, Huh? Yeah. Um, so, so if I were to, what's the best way to get your attention? If if I have a killer product or service, if I have a great story, how do I communicate that effectively to you? Well, I, I'll tell you this much. What this this means a lot to me, and I'm I'm flattered because we hadn't even talked about our interview before this. Uh, thank you for having read one of my books. I think anybody who's who, who reads my Investing King and says, "Hey, I read Chapter Three, you know, Paragraph Four. This is what it is." And- <laughs> I am. I mean, that's like the best research ever, but I, I make hardly no money on books. I just do it because it's a passion and I like reaching new audiences. Um, I would say this. If you want to reach me, reach out to me with, with your story, with your narrative, who you are, and, and just give me a demo of your product. You can do that on LinkedIn. You can add me, Ross Blankenship. On LinkedIn, um, you know, you can you can watch some of my tweets on Twitter, but I think LinkedIn is probably the best. You can also, I mean, look, I'll throw out my email if people want. Uh, the best way to email is invest at angelkings.com, uh, invest at angelkings.com. And if you want to email me, hey, listen, I'm all for it. I, I can't respond to every email, uh, but what sure. I can do is if I see a gem, I will reach out to you. I mean, you know, I can spot gold from from miles away and, and I can <laughs> – Really awesome startups in my portfolio, and and listen, I I want who the heck knows maybe through early to rise and this great podcast, maybe we'll find something here as well. Yeah, I, I certainly hope so too. Like I said, we have a lot of great entrepreneurs who listen to the show in various stages of their business development. So hopefully, we'll make some connections there. Um, awesome. We gotta we gotta close it out, unfortunately. But any last words of wisdom um, as we as we look ahead to 2018 and 2019 and a lot of new innovation. No, just I would say one last thing. Go do something great. Go build something that you've always wanted to build. Uh, whether you've got a full-time job right now and you're tinkering with an idea, this is your year. This is your year. It's not the next year. It's this year. It's now's your time to do something great. That's something that 20, 30 years from now you'll look back on and you'll be able to tell others that I did what I'm passionate about. You know, it's all, the, the next road and the next day is always going to be the more favorable one. But it, it's not when it's convenient that you build something you love. It's today. So that that's all I have to say. And I, I look forward to seeing, you know, listening and sharing this podcast and, and all the great things you do with Early to Rise. So thanks for having me on. Yeah, good words to end on. I really appreciate it, Ross. Thanks for your time. Oh, my pleasure. And I'll talk to you soon, Jeff. All right. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.